Our reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please join with me in prayer? Father, again, uh, before you, we acknowledge our utter dependence upon you. Uh, You are not waiting for us to come to you, but you are the one who has come first to us. Your Son has become one of us, and your Spirit draws us to yourself. And so even now, that is our prayer, uh, that knowing that you are our loving Father who loves us for reasons we will never understand, that your Spirit would once again be at work among us, drawing us to you, that we might experience the reality of your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a kid, uh, just a little bit before kindergarten, our parents moved to a new town, and I went uh, to a new school, and the town was small, population of 7,000 in kind of a rural area in Massachusetts, and the school was even smaller. And I remember feeling when I was, you know, starting in kindergarten, like everyone else knew each other besides me. And so I would hear about them going to each other's houses for fun, and that sounded fun, but I was never the person who went to someone else's house. I heard about these birthday parties, and I wasn't invited. Sometimes we'd play this game, Farmer in the Dell. Does anyone remember Farmer in the Dell? Okay, I wasn't sure if this, yes, I see some hands, thank you. Uh, it, uh, maybe it's a New England thing only, but it basically has involved people picking their friends. And so like, you know, one person would pick the next person, they would pick the next person. At the very end, the cheese stands alone. That's always how it ends. I was never even the cheese. Like I was never invited to be part of the farmer in the Dell story. I felt like a total outsider. And over time, I started realizing as I got a little bit older, I wasn't the only one, that there were others who were in the class who didn't quite feel like they belonged either. But what didn't change was the reality that there always seemed to be this group of people who were connected, who knew each other well, who belonged. And those of us who were outside always wanted to be part of that group. 
Now, my guess is I'm not alone in that experience. Probably some of us can think about something similar when we were kids. And it's not, it's not just an experience that we have when we're children, is it? That, that phenomenon of feeling like there is an insider group and an outsider group is something we experience throughout our life. The, the writer C.S. Lewis actually had a lecture about it where he's talking about what he calls the inner ring. And, and he says that that happens at every stage, that those outside want to belong to an inner ring. And he writes, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the inner ring and the terror of being left outside. That's interesting, isn't it? He's saying no matter where you look, you will find an inner ring. You know, whether it's the, the PTO moms at all school gatherings who seem to all kind of get together and enjoy each other's company, or whether it's the coworkers that seem to be super connected and on the fast track, or whether it's the cool kids club. There's always, wherever we look, an inner ring, and it's almost human nature for us to wish we were a part of it. Now, why? Why do we want to be in that inner circle? I'm sure there's, there's a number of reasons. Part of it is a desire for power. You know, I want to be in the room where it happens. Part of it maybe is a desire for information. We want to be in the know. But, but I suspect there's a, a deeper and simpler desire that oftentimes drives this wanting to be inside. And that is we want to have a place where we fit. We, we want to feel connected. We, we want to be wanted. We want to belong. And we, we feel like if only we get on the inside of that group, we'll feel that way. Now, the reality is, if ever you do find yourself in the inner ring, it doesn't actually feel as good as you would think it would. You find yourself eventually looking somewhere else. Maybe there's an even more inner circle than you realize. Or maybe it's somewhere else that you start noticing it. Because I suspect that desires that are within us are never going to be satisfied by just that feeling of human connection. That, that deep down, what we're really longing for is a sense of, of place, of fitting in, in a bigger story. A desire to belong not just to other people, but to belong to God, to be brought inside to Him. And our passage this morning deals exactly with that desire and with that focus of being brought inside to God. But you may, might have felt as we were reading it that, that there are a lot of ideas and thoughts in it and it was hard to connect to. So I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to start by actually telling a fairy tale. And hopefully you'll see, and it's a bit of a risk, hopefully you'll see the connection when we eventually get to the passage. So once upon a time, there was a terrible city. It was terrible because it was under the curse of an evil dragon, and what that meant was that there was crime everywhere. There was a lack of any kind of beauty. There was litter. There was all sorts of poverty. It was ugly. And that meant that people were never kind to each other. They never trusted each other because everyone was out for themselves. And, and in this town, more than anything else that was under the curse, there, there was no hope. You knew if you were born in it, nothing good would happen. 
But one day there is the king, the king who was of the land that was all around the city, the king who was good, who came in when people weren't paying attention and found the very worst part of the city, the part that everyone else had forgotten. It was so bad. And he slowly built a wall around this neighborhood. Maybe you think of it as like eight blocks big, all the way around. And when he had finished building a wall, he found a home that had been abandoned for years, and he made it his home. And within that wall, everything began to change. Now, see, within that wall, the dragon's curse had no power, but even more importantly, within those walls, everyone, every day, was invited over to the king's home, and he would bring them in, and he would show them his kindness, and he would give them food and drink, and there would be celebration and warmth, and over time, because of that, people began to change. Those who were enemies before to each other became friends. Streets were suddenly cleaned and there were flowers in people's backyards. Kids began playing in the backyards of their neighbor without any fear. It was beautiful. Because for the first time in their lives, they were experiencing love. And that's a powerful thing. And so for the first time in their lives, they were experiencing hope. But all was not well because... These people, though they were growing and changing, still had not been fully changed. And so when they looked outside of the walls and they saw the terrible-looking city around them, rather than feeling compassion, they felt pride. Rather than feeling sadness, there was a sense of superiority because we are now so much better than those people around us. And meanwhile, the people on the outside looked in and there was resentment and jealousy and anger. And because they were under the curse of the dragon, where they were especially angry towards was the king himself. This wall that was meant as a wall of protection had become a wall of division. And the king saw this and he grieved. He grieved that so many people were not able to experience his love and his welcome and were suffering. He grieved that there was division when he wanted peace and harmony. So he did what he knew he had to do. One morning, he walked outside of those walls and he walked to the very center of the city and all those people who were angry, all those people who hated him, attacked him and bound him and carried him off to the lair of the dragon and unbound him because they knew he would be destroyed by the dragon. And the dragon, full of fury at this king, unleashed his fire upon the king. And the king remained standing. So the dragon, even more furious, poured out white-hot fire more than he ever had before. Everything else was completely made into ashes, but the king remained standing. And so the dragon, now more angry than ever before, poured everything that he had so that there was no more power left in him. But what, what the dragon didn't know, what the people didn't know, was the king had a deeper and greater power than the dragon did. And so even when the dragon had no more power left, the king stood And filled with life, having exhausted the power of the dragon, he returned to the city and he did what he wanted to do. He tore the wall down and he called out to all of the city, no longer under the curse, saying, come, come into my home. Come experience my food and my drink. Come experience my love. All are welcome. Now, in a real sense, the story that Paul tells here, because he is also telling a story, is in many ways parallel to the story that I just told. 
Paul is telling a story to the Ephesian Christians. You can see that the story he tells is their story. Remember, he says in verse 17, and, and just, oh, sorry, verse 11, and just to let you know, I'm just going to be kind of working through the passage. If you don't have your bulletins open, it might be helpful for you too, because you'll see where I'm going if you, if you do. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Now, here we come to this word that probably many of us know what a Gentile is. It's, of course, a non-Jew, but it's not a word that I think has a whole lot of resonance or connection with us, does it? My guess is if you ever introduce yourself and, and people say, tell me something about you, you don't go, well, you know, I work at such and such a place, I have this family, and I'm a Gentile. I mean, it's not just something that we think of as our, it's not even in the top 10 of our concepts for those of us who are Gentiles. But it would have been in that day. If you were a Christian Gentile, you would have known it every day. Because here's what you need to understand. Until just a few years ago, literally just a few years ago, when this man Paul had come to your town and had told you about this king, this Messiah who had died and risen again, until that point, the only people who could have been the people of God were Jews. And that would have been for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, that the Gentiles were always the outsiders to the special people of God. They were always on the outside looking in. And so these Christian Gentiles who now, now belong are still feeling like foreigners and, and outsiders. And so Paul tells them a story. Remember, let me tell you your story again to help you to understand who you really are. And he begins essentially at the very beginning. Centuries upon centuries upon centuries ago, when the world was overridden by evil and it was under a curse, God stooped down and he gathered a family, the family of Israel, and he made them his people. Now, to protect this people, he established a wall around them, not, not a physical wall, but a wall nevertheless, the wall of the law, a wall that separated them from everyone else. It gave them customs that made them different, circumcision, eating foods in a different way, celebrating the Sabbath in a different way, all to separate them and protect them from the cultures and the world around them. And within that wall, things got better. Because within that wall, people experienced God's loving kindness. They heard God's promises that gave them hope. They experienced God actually living among them in this temple that was their very symbolic home of God living next to them. They experienced the love of God, and because of that, they were a people of hope. But in the very same way that we saw in, in the fairy tale, because of this, as they looked outside of the walls and they saw the world around them, they felt arrogance and not compassion. And meanwhile, those on the outside looked in and felt divided and distant. And Paul says, remember, that's, that was you. That's, that's where he goes. In verse 11, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, remember how the Jews used to call you a name. You guys are just the uncircumcision. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul says, do you remember this? And of course they did. 
Do you know, in, in the temple, that place that was symbolically God's home, Gentiles were allowed to a certain point. There was what's called the Gentile courts. But then at the very edge, if you went any further, there was literally a wall. And on that wall, in Greek and in Latin, were words saying, Gentiles, you cannot go any further on the pain of death. They quite literally were kept from coming inside by a wall. Paul says, remember that. Do you remember how you were outsiders? But now in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, there's, there are no more hopeful words in the English language than that right there. But now in Christ Jesus. No matter what is the past, no matter what comes before that, but now in Christ Jesus changes it. And so here also, you once were outsiders, but now in Christ Jesus, that's changed. Because just as in the story that I told, God would not be satisfied with so many people not being able to come to him. He was not satisfied with the division that the wall was creating, and so he knew what he had to do. He knew that he had to tear down the wall, the law that was protecting, so that all could be welcomed in. But now in Christ Jesus, notice verse 14, he is our peace who has made both, us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That, that wall that once kept you out, the wall in the temple that's saying you can't come, he has torn down by, it says, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. God was not satisfied, and so he tore the wall down. How? He needed to take care of the deeper curse that caused the wall to be necessary in the first place. He, he needed to deal with the curse of evil, of sin, of death. And the way he did that was through the death of Christ. We see that again and again. Now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who once were far off have been brought near how? By the blood of Christ. That's a way of speaking of by his death. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall. When Christ came into this world, he came to endure the curse of evil and all of its consequences so that he could disarm it. And, and having died and having risen again, he has disarmed sin and death and evil so that a wall of protection is no longer needed. And now Paul says, now, now the wall is not there. Now he has brought you near. Once you were far off, yes, once you were foreigners, once you stood outside of the wall, but now there is no wall, and God calls to you as he calls to Jew, all together you are brought near. Gentiles, this is your story. You're not foreigners. You're not outsiders. You are welcome because God has welcomed you. That's the story that Paul tells here to these people who might have been feeling inadequate, insecure in their faith. But we might under, wonder, okay, so why, why are we hearing this? We know that this is a story that they needed to hear, and, and, and here's the answer. Because whether we are Jews or Gentiles, this story is applicable to us as well. Because if you are in Christ, this is your story. 
If you've placed your faith in Jesus, whether you realize it or not, this is your story. And if you haven't yet, this could be your story. Do you see, if you just take a step back and think about this king, this God, what it shows us about his heart? Do you see just how far God is willing to go? What sacrifices he is willing to make to welcome people into his home? If we really pay attention, what we see is an extraordinarily hospitable God. Have you ever experienced extraordinary hospitality? I remember when I was in college, uh, in summers, there was a family who were probably about my parents' age who would welcome a whole bunch of college students to their home every week. These were not particularly flashy people. There's nothing cool about them. And there's nothing about them that made it seem like they would really want to have tons of college students in their house, but they did. And every week, students would keep coming back. And do you know why? Because they knew they were welcomed. Whenever they came in the door, there would be a smile, there would be a hug, there would be all sorts of food waiting for them. And, and, and then these, these people would ask us questions and be actually interested in the answers about who we are and what was going on in our lives. And we could stay as long as we wanted, even though they'd be waking up early the next morning. We felt like family to them. We felt like we belonged. Do you know what that's like? Do you understand that what we're seeing here is that God is like that, except even far more deeply. That God has spared no expense. He is willing to give everything to remove any obstacle to bring us in. And in a real sense, from the moment that humanity turned their back on God, the whole story of human history has been one long story of God doing whatever it took to bring us home. Do you understand that about God, that God, that God calls us home? If you are in Christ, this is your story, that once you are outsiders, and, and we feel that, right? We, we feel this longing for being connected. We feel the sense of displacement. We, we desire to belong, and God says, you can. I have done everything it takes to make the way to come home come home to me. And, and where Paul takes this is a, after saying, look at what God has done, he then brings us to the conclusion, which is kind of like his happily ever after. And what he talks about is just how welcomed, just how home at home we are in Christ. So verse 18, for through him, that is Jesus, we both, both now being Jews and Gentiles, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, you know that the, the God of the Bible is Trinitarian God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what this verse is saying is all three members of the Trinity are at work together to bring us home. So Jesus is the one who has made it possible. He has made the way, and it says the Spirit is like our guide, is the one who's moving us, trying to bring us, and the Father is there welcoming us, saying, you have access, come home. We have access to the Father, it says. Now, that's an extraordinary thought. You know, 
if, if someone's really important, maybe they're the President of the United States, maybe they're the CEO, it is incredibly difficult to get access to them. You, you either need to be a really important person or have donated a whole lot of money to a campaign. If you want even a few minutes, because access to someone that powerful is so precious. And we're told you have access not just to the present, you have access to the creator of the universe who holds all things in his hands. And that access isn't limited for like five minutes. That access is always, we always can come to him. We're always welcome. Do you know who has nonstop access to important people? It's not just workers. It's, it's family. That's what Paul says. Verse 19, you, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer outsiders who don't belong but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. You, you, you belong to his people, and that members of the household of God is another way of saying, you now are family. One time I was uh, visiting, I had some friends who worked on a ministry in, um, in Dearborn in, in Chicago and some projects that were there. And so they invited me to come along one time. And so they were visiting this woman who was very actively involved who lived within those projects. And I come into the door and I'm introduced and immediately she opened her arms and said, be my son, be my son. I had never experienced anything like that. I'm from New England, so it was a little threatening, but it was also awesome. She was saying, I don't know you but you are welcome. You have a place in my home. You are family. And God says, as he calls us to himself, be my son, be my daughter. You belong. You are home here. Christ has made the way. Those of us who have children, you know what it's like you're always surprised by how deeply you actually care about them. And if your kids are growing up and starting to get close to college age, you might also be feeling the, the anxiety of what is it going to be like when our kids go away. Yes, it's great to see them grow up, but, but they belong in our home, and our home is not going to be the same without them. They have a place here. And that's how God is towards us. You are my children. You have a place in my home, and that place is permanent. You belong for Paul to kind of clarify that he gives one more metaphor. Do you remember before we said the temple, there was a wall, and you were kept out? But things have changed. It says, verse 21, in Christ, the whole structure, that is the structure of the temple being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What does that mean? It's like, you're not just excluded from the temple. You're not excluded at all. You actually now are part of the temple. Each of you so belong to God's household, you're like a brick in his temple so that you are always near to God. This, if you have placed your trust in Christ, is your story. Why, why, why would a king do this? Why would a king go into a city when he's already content? Why would a God give everything, give his own son for people who are prickly and unpleasant, it's because he loves you. It's because he welcomes all of us home. 
there's so many ways we could go with this. this. This means so, so much. I just want to focus on one thing. If this is who our God is, and it is, that means in this place all are welcome. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're welcome here because God welcomes all of us. Each, each of us have stories who are here of ways that we are filled with shame, of ways that we have failed, because that's the story of the Christian gospel. We all have failed in different ways, and yet God says, be my son, be my daughter, because I have sent my son for you. All are welcome, because we have a God whose hospitality is beyond our ability to imagine. There is a song that sometimes uh, we like to sing in this church, one of my favorites. We're not singing it today. Um, but it's a song that really focuses on this I- exact theme. It, it starts um, with this metaphor of, of people coming around inside of the home that God, um, that God invites us to. And it says, How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors where everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. Do you see how it's beginning? How, how beautiful it is when we are welcomed into the home of Christ and we see all of this feast before us and we experience the love of God. And then it continues, while all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why am I a guest? That's the mark of understanding the gospel. When we come to recognize not only that we're welcomed, but we cry out, why? Why why would you love me? Then the song turns to one more focus, a, a desire that I think flows from this, where it says, the people who now are crying out with thankful tongues cry out with this prayer, pity the nations, O our God. Constrain the earth to come. Send forth your victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. That, that's, that's the prayer of the church who understands what God has done. Because that's the very heart of God. Our God is a God who brings the strangers home. If you are a stranger this morning. If you feel like you are a stranger to God or God's people, He is calling you, come. Be my daughter. Be my son. Because He is a God who has given everything to bring us home. I want to invite you to do what our tradition is in this church. After having heard God's word, we want to make sure we're people who listen. And so let's take a couple moments of silence, and and you can respond however you feel led. Maybe it's a respond of asking God for help, or maybe it's an awareness of things that you need to confess to God. And then in a few minutes, I'll lead us in, in prayer together. So would you spend a few minutes with me in silent prayer?
Father, I, I confess, perhaps on behalf of many, that though I see this in your word, and though maybe I begin to understand this, there's so much of me that doesn't yet trust that you have loved me in this way. And so, Father, together, many of us confess our lack of faith. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to know our story more deeply, that you would help us to know just how deeply you have welcomed us, how deeply you love us, how much you have done to bring us home, and that you would help us more and more live into this reality as your children. And Father, for those even right now who who are still trying to think through where they stand with you, I pray that you would open their hearts and their eyes and give them clarity, enable them, like you enable all of us, to see your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have confessed, we're also reminded of our forgiveness and the good news of the gospel in Ephesians 2. What we have just heard, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.